This is ESPN New York Tonight. Here's Larry Hardesty. At 1-800-919-3776. Also on Twitter, at Hardesty ESPN, at ESPN NY 98 underscore 7 FM. Along with Brian and Jake, we're here until midnight. Then it's Freddie and Fitz on 98.7 ESPN. We thank you guys for joining us tonight. We'll be joined by Christian Winfield. He covers the Brooklyn Nets for the Daily News. He will join us at the bottom of the hour. Want to get his thought about one of the articles he wrote today about this small five lineup that you might see if indeed everybody is intact, meaning if indeed James Harden doesn't make his way to Brooklyn. And I know there's some people who want him to be in Brooklyn and other people who don't want him to be in Brooklyn who are Nets fans. So we'll talk Brooklyn Nets at the bottom of the hour. And I want to talk some Knicks. I want to talk basketball around the NBA. We haven't talked hoops. We've done a lot of football, not a lot of hoops. So let's go to work. We begin with the New York Knicks. As a matter of fact, that's our poll question that's up at Hardest to ESPN at ESPN NY 98 underscore 7 FM. Our poll question is very simple. As a matter of fact, it's courtesy of Jake. In five years, which one of these draft picks will be the player, will be the man on the Knicks? Will it be the new guy, Obi Toppin? Will it be the veteran, Mitchell Robinson? Or will it be R.J. Barrett? Who do you think it'll be? At Hardest to ESPN, at ESPN NY 98 underscore 7 FM, it's a close race right now as I take a quick gander at the polls. So, I am excited. I'm looking forward to what this Knicks season and Nets season could be. I had the pleasure of being embedded with the New Jersey Nets when Jason Kidd and Richard Jefferson and Kenyon Martin went to back-to-back NBA Finals. Kerry Kittles, you know, that crew, led by the former Laker champion guard, Byron Scott. And it was really fun to watch that team. And this was a Nets team that, of course, had been struggling. This was a Nets team back in the day in Jersey that had left via <laughs> via uh, Long Island, where my good friend, the late Tim Bassett and Dr. J and Larry Keenan and all that crew had won some championships. Uh, as a matter of fact, on the radio broadcast, the radio play-by-play guy was John Sterling, whom I think some of you have heard of. Uh, so, you know, they were great, and they had some years where they were struggling. I can hear uh, <laughs> I can hear a former sportscaster on Channel 7, Warner Wolf, talking about the Nets in Piscataway because that's where they moved. And then they moved to the Meadowlands. And those were years when that team was just everything came together. Now, of course, they had – Great teams earlier. I mean, I covered some teams with Derek Coleman and Kenny Anderson, you know, who had who had success. And then, you know, Jason Williams was on a couple of teams that had some success uh, with with the Nets as he became uh, a tremendous player, young man out of St. John's before he ran into some unfortunate situations off the court. But the, the Nets really and then after Jason Kidd moved on, went back to Dallas and then Vince Carter came. And the Nets were once again in the playoff situation with, with, with the eyes on the title. So now what we're looking at is, from the Nets standpoint, this possibility again with the Kyrie Irving and the Kevin Durant. The big question obviously is durability, health. It is the situation with Kyrie Irving, who has had injury problems, and Kevin Durant who's coming off not playing for a year. And, you know, all the indications from players and interviews, and once again, we'll check with Kristen Winfield at the bottom of the hour, he's looked good. He seems to be as, you know, as close to back as possible. Now, obviously, in the heat of competitive basketball, where you're going to run up and down the court and make quick moves and quick stops and everything like that, where you are reacting as opposed to testing what you can do, it's going to be different. So I'm very curious to see how this net team is going to come together. I'm interested in Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni and, you know, Amari Stottlemyre and, and the coaching staff and how that's all going to work. So I'm intrigued to see just how Brooklyn's going to perform this year. But obviously, I'm also curious to see what the Knicks are going to do because of the young talent that they have on this club. 
And as I've talked about before, the young coaching staff, well, not a young coaching staff, but a coaching staff that right now, out of all the coaching staffs that I can think of from Pat Riley and Thibodeau and Van Gundy, from all those coaching staffs, I would say off the top of my head, this is probably, and listen, coaching staffs have grown. I remember when, you know, it was one or two guys sitting next to the coach. Now the coaches have their own bench row behind the head coach, and there's four and five guys up in the front. But I'm very curious because I think this might be the deepest and best on paper, on paper. It might be the deepest and best assemblance of coaches that's able to develop young talent. Now, we'll see. The proof is in the pudding. We'll be able to find out when we watch them play. And the biggest thing is going to be, very simply, as they play, will they get better individually and as a team? Will they improve to the point that they are not making the same mistakes twice? Are they to that level where they are competitive, where they are exciting, where if they lose games, they lose them because they just don't have the talent to compete with their opponents? Not that they just given up or not that they're not playing hard or not that they look like they don't know what they're doing or not that they're not being coached. So these are the things that I'm really looking for when I watch the Knicks and the Nets. And obviously some preseason games are going to be available for us to watch and starting this weekend. I know the Nets are in action this weekend and the Knicks and we'll start to see that. But these are the things I'm looking for. So in this in this time where the season is going to start on the 22nd, I think the Knicks first game is the 23rd. Uh, that's what I want to see. That's what I'm looking forward to seeing because, look, do I expect this? Playoffs are not even on my mind as far as the Knicks are concerned. Why would they be? There's nothing on this team that would make you think playoffs. Nothing. Right now, what you're looking at is young talent that the team is trying to develop. And as I've stated before, the game plan is really simple. The game plan has got to be if they are competitive, other players will come. <laughs> that's it. And you guys know that because that's what happened to Brooklyn. Where Brooklyn got competitive, other players wanted to come because they, they saw how the guys were playing for each other. They enjoyed each other's company. They were working together. They were talented, and they won some games that, you know, they, you probably wouldn't have thought that they would win in a, in a, based on the talent they had. So that's why I thought it was that's why I'm really really interested to see how these players are going to work. That's why I'm very very curious to see. At Hardest the ESPN at ESPN NY 98_7FM. Our poll question tonight, in 5 years, which one of these draft picks will be the player on the Knicks? Obi Toppin, Mitchell Robinson, or RJ Barrett? Here's some early responses via Twitter at I hate dead ends says Bronny James. Hmm. I think, I think LeBron would tell him no. <laughs> I think LeBron would say, listen, I didn't go there. You can't go there. <laughs> uh, Jay from BK and um, at Randy G and at MAC0098 all agree, none of the above. None listed here, none of the above. So those three folks agree. They didn't like any of those players. At DNL Miguel De Almonte says, dang, Larry, this is a tough question. I would have to say R.J. Barrett, though, because he, if he's great, he will be able to make Obi Toppin and Mitchell Robinson stars with his playmaking ability. Hmm. That's interesting thought. What do you think? 1-800-919-3776. Also via Twitter, at Hardest to ESPN, at ESPN, NY 98 underscore 7 FM. All right, we'll get to what you have to say. Let's go to the phones. See what people have to say tonight. Let's begin with Ryan in Brooklyn. Ryan, you're batting leadoff on ESPN New York tonight. What's up, Larry? What's going on? Everything's good, Ryan. What's happening? Listen, man, 
according well to get to your poll question, it has to be R.J. Barrett. It just has to be. Why does it have to be R.J.? I just feel like he has more upside. I mean, uh, Obi, he's more like of a, you know, dynamic, athletic, you know, Amari Stoudemire type. I just feel like R.J. has to be the go-to guy. He has to be the the score, the leading scorer. It has to be R.J. It just has to be. Okay. What if it's uh, what if it's Obi Toppin? Then that's that's good. But I just feel like RJ has to be the guy as far as the go-to. Like, OB topping, uh, I, I just can't see it. I can't see it being OB topping. Okay. All right. And you definitely can't see Mitchell Robinson being the guy. No, no, absolutely not. He's more like a Tyson Chandler, protect the rim kind of guy, get you a few alley-oop dunks, block shots, defensive guy, protect the rim. But, nah. Definitely not Mitchell Robinson. <laughs> All right, Ryan. Thanks for checking right. in. Thank, thanks for the phone call. I'll tell you this. If it's R.J. Barrett, there's one. if he's going to be the man on this Nick team, then here's what one things, here's a couple things that I know. First, he better, be shooting foul, he better be shooting free throws better this year than he did last year. Because if he's the man, that means he's going to have the ball in his hands and he's going to have to go to the basket, put the ball on the deck, take it to the hoop. He's going to have to learn how to finish strong, and he's going to have to be able to hit free throws. Those are two things he's got to do. The other thing is, and this was from an article and a quote that he made late last season, he's got to decide whether he's a righty or lefty predominant. I mean, I obviously a player that can be effective with either hand is what you want to see. That, that's clear. You, The great players are effective with both hands. But he was questioning whether he, his predominant hand, he was, his, shot, his shooting percentage was bad because he was shooting with the wrong hand. No, no. Let's, let's, let's understand what we're doing here. So hopefully he's had a whole offseason. Seems like in a couple of interviews I've seen that he was perturbed because he was left off the all-rookie team. So I would think that I'm expecting big things from that young man. I really am. Bob is in Morris Plains. Hey, Bob, you're next on 98.7. Hey, Bob. All right, Bob's not there. All right, so we'll hopefully he'll call back. So that's the, that's the interesting thing here as far as what I'm expecting from this Nick team. And I know, listen, there's a person here that we haven't talked about on this squad. And I am really curious, really curious when the Knicks face Detroit on Friday night. I am really, really curious to see, and this is a veteran player now, I'm really curious to see how Julius Randle, two players, Julius Randle and Dennis Smith. Okay, I really want to see how they will respond to the new head coach. And especially Julius Randle, who really, really needs to be coached up. And Nick fans, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a guy who always put the ball on the floor in a crowd of people and wonder why it was going the other way. Unbelievable. So I'm curious to see how he's going to perform. Obviously, Dennis Smith Jr., we've talked about. He's been well chronicled uh, about how we're expecting, what we're expecting from him, what we need to see from him. Now, we talked about these players, and there's one uh, one other response from one of the other guys on Twitter that, that uh, weighed in on our poll question. And that was at Jomo underscore 666. He mentioned Miles Powell. And I'm interested and am looking forward to seeing what Miles Powell brings to the table as well. Heard a lot about him. Uh, did not get a chance to see many Seton Hall games. Uh, I know he's 6'2". Uh, obviously, from what I've heard and what I've read, he is a guy who can handle the basketball. He's a guy who could be a very, very talented point guard at this level. 
So I'm very curious to see what he's going to bring to the table. Obviously, of course, I want to see what Emmanuel quickly does. Uh, I'm also interested in watching Noel's, um, you know, Nerlin's Noel. Blah, 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 blah. Because he's a guy who's been well-traveled. He was probably one of the first members of, quote, the process, unquote, of the 76ers, right? He was the, he was the first member of those guys that I were building around him, and he's gone from team to team to team to team. He is Mitchell Robinson. I mean, when you think about it, the similarities of what they do are very are almost identical. He's what Mitchell Robinson, he's, they're the same player. So the question becomes, is Noel a player that's going to push Mitchell Robinson? Is he a player that obviously is going to give you some depth up front? What is he going to bring to the table here? So I'm very curious to see how he is going to perform. So obviously there's a lot of uh there's there's a lot of interesting players on this team from the standpoint of what are they going to bring to the table and how is Thibodeau going to mix them and match them so that he can build some kind of chemistry all right to see what they're able to bring to the table So that was the interesting thing there. That's what I'm looking forward to watching. That's what I, I want to see. Obviously, I want to see Kevin Knox too. So I'm, I'm, just, I'm just really looking forward to seeing what these guys bring to the table as far as the Knicks are concerned. Now, as far as the Nets are concerned, look, I, I, this is a team that on paper, on paper, in the Atlantic, should challenge Toronto and Philly for the division. I mean, let's face it. You look at the look at the talent and look at the depth of this team. I mean, they've added Jeff Green, who's who's clearly a, a guy who's who knows what it takes. He's a veteran guy. He's a guy who's, who's a good locker room guy. So you bring him in. All right. You got Tyler Johnson. DeAndre Jordan was here last year. They've added Bruce Brown to try to solidify some defense. All right, Jared Allen is a shot-blocking phenom who made his name last year by just protecting the rim at an incredible level of what he was able to do. Karis LeVert, does he take even another step up from where he was? Because when Kyrie Irving was out for injury, and then did not come back because of, you know, because of COVID and the injury, all right? Karis LeVert carried that team. Karis LeVert was that guy. And this is a very talented person. So that's why what's interesting here is what happens if indeed you have to, you end up making that move for James Harden. LeVert is obviously out of here. Dinwiddie is obviously out of here. And there's some other folks who are going to go as well. And so that's going to cut into your depth. And that's going to be a challenge for Steve Nash, Mike D'Antoni and company to try to get three guys who are alpha males, who were the stars of their team. All right. And how do you mold them and get them to understand that if each of them sacrifices a little bit, they all win together. And as we saw when LeBron went to Miami with that big three, who decides who takes the last shot, right? And that was the, the, the issue. Who, who's going to take the last shot? We don't know. How does this happen? What, all that is all part of building chemistry when you have a bunch of superstars on one team with one basketball. Let's turn our attention to the Brooklyn Nets. For that, we uh, bring in friend of the show. Does an outstanding job covering basketball, especially the Nets for the Daily News. He is Christian Winfield. Joins us right now here on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, Chris, how are you? 
Larry, you're far too kind. I appreciate you for, for the words, but I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Thank you, my friend. Uh, Kevin Durant as a potential small ball five highlights an interesting team for the Nets. That's what you wrote about in the Daily News today. Enlighten my audience about this small ball. Boy, Mike D'Antoni carries that small ball offense wherever he goes, huh? I mean, that, that appears to be the case. And it's less about, about small ball and, and more so about versatility. The, the Nets, if, if we're not going into the season with a blockbuster trade that guts this roster for James Harden, uh, the Nets have one of the deepest and honestly most versatile rosters uh, in this entire NBA. So you look at a guy like Kevin Durant who kind of embodies that versatility. Yes, he's, I mean, come on, you can't really name too many scorers uh, who are better at putting that ball in the bucket than, than Kevin Durant. But if you also look at the way he was able to make an impact on the defensive end while he was in Golden State, this is a guy who's seven feet pretty much, uh, can put the ball on the floor, shoot over anybody, uh, and also protect the rim. And the Nets are trying to build a, a roster around that versatility. You've got a guy like Kyrie who's just, you know what I'm saying, he's going to go out there, put on a show, uh, and, and probably get you somewhere between 20 and 25 a night. Uh, and then you look at other guys around that team. You've got Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie and Joe Harris. These are guys that can all do a number of things. Uh, and if they're building this team in that likeness, uh, of kind of kind of of Kevin Durant, of a guy who can do multiple things out there on the floor. That's what they're banking on uh, with this roster uh, as being a formula to get them as close to a championship as they can get. And they're not backing away from it. They, this is a team that wants to win, and right now they're in training camp, uh, putting some guys on the floor and seeing just what those combinations are that work. And that's what this team is looking to do uh, leading into the preseason. I tell you one thing, they they will be tough to guard because if you put Durant at the five with his ability to shoot the three, that spreads the offense out. They spread the floor extremely well with that small lineup. Absolutely. Uh, and if you just look at the, the, the moves they made this offseason, number one, you, you re-signed Joe Harris uh, to four years, $75 million. That's, a, that's a, a great contract for him, and it just shows you how far he's come. And once upon a time, this is a guy who was only going to sit down, spot up, uh, knock down some threes and be running around. Now this is a guy who can put the ball on the floor and make plays uh, for his teammates. And, and the Nets are trying to get guys, or the Nets have gotten guys like that. You look at Landry Shamit, uh, who's another guy they got from the Clippers. Sharpshooter, can knock it down at a high rate. Uh, but he also competes at the defensive end. And he came into training camp saying, hey, I know I can shoot, but uh, I can get other guys involved too. Uh, and, and if you just look at how many threes they're going to be able to get up, if you put a guy like Kevin Durant out there at the five. I mean, you've got shooters all around, right? You've got probably Kyrie, Joe Harris, Karis LeVert, uh, and, and Jeff Green. Jeff Green has been a welcome addition to this team. He's a veteran. He's a guy who played with Kevin Durant back when they were in Seattle. Remember, Kevin Durant was a supersonic. He was drafted as one of those before they relocated uh, to Oklahoma City. So those guys have a relationship, and that's another guy who can defend uh, and hit threes. And, and to your point, uh, we're seeing kind of a trend uh, away, I mean, we talked about Mike D'Antoni. This is the guy who traded away Clint Capella and put P.J. Tucker at the five. Uh, mm -hmm. But Kevin Durant is not P.J. Tucker. You know, this is a guy who can get buckets at, at or basically anywhere on the floor. Uh, so if they're going to have him at the five and you have shooters all around you and then you have Kyrie on the floor as well, that, that's going to be tough to stop. When we look at this team, Christian, as is currently is right now, uh, is this how far can this team go? That's a great question. Um, if you're asking me, which you are, you know, you've got Giannis out in Milwaukee, and you look at what the Bucks did, right? They go and get Drew Holiday. I thought that Bogdan Bogdanovich deal, if they landed him, uh, I was crowning them kings of the East. I thought that was going to be a good deal, but we saw that breakdown, and Bogdan ends up in Atlanta. I think the Bucks are a team that you've got to consistently monitor because Giannis is going to be an MVP candidate every year until he decides to retire. Uh, now you go add Drew Holiday to that mix, right? And, and that's a one-two. And you still have Chris Middleton. People sleep on Chris Middleton. He's a guy who's going to go out there and get you 22 to 24 a game, and he's going to do it efficiently. Uh, and, and they just have a, a, a two-way roster of guys who are going to play both ends of the floor. So that's one team the Nets have to, have to get through. Then you've still got the Celtics. You've still got Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, and those guys. Uh, you've still got the Heat, who are somehow underdogs once again, after, even though they went to the NBA Finals. Uh, no one's really talking about them to repeat, and those guys have a chip on their shoulders because they want to go back and prove that they can win. Uh, the East is not a cakewalk, you know, so I, I understand, yes, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, these are, I mean, two surefire Hall of Famers, two former NBA champions, but champions are not just built on the backs of two players. 
it's a bunch of guys they have to come together uh, and really figure out ways to play off one another. These are guys, I mean, you know, there, there was a huge elephant in the room. This team is, was at one point entertaining trade, or, trade yeah. rumors for, for James Harden. You know what I'm saying? And guys were talking about it. Like, hey, we've got to come in and, and focus on work. But, yeah, we see the trade rumors. How can you not? I'm talking about it on the radio right now. People are talking about it on TV. There's Twitter, social media. They see the trade rumors. They can't necessarily ignore those. Uh, well, they can. That's exactly what they have to do, and that's what they've had to do. And now you see the Rockets are over here uh, moving on and trying to trade, and that's another roadblock. The, the Sixers are, are in contention to get a guy like James Harden. So if James Harden ends up in Philly, that's another team the Nets have to deal with. So I, I say all that to say it's not going to be a cakewalk for this team, but when you put Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving on the floor, uh, I like your chances in any game. And I think the Nets have as good a chance to, to get to the finals and potentially win it all as anybody else. Is, is Are the Nets still involved? Or could they still come back and be a, a participant with uh, and, and get James Harden? I mean, I think when you look, and I'm not sure what Philly's – I know Philly, the rumor is they're offering Ben Simmons, but they got, got to offer more than that. I mean, the Nets have some serious players here, and, you know, you highlight that in your article about, you know, the versatility and everything if this team stays intact. But a number of these players, I'm I'm sure Lavert and Dinwiddie are going to be two of the players that are going to be gone here. Where are the Nets in, in this uh, James Harden uh, sweepstakes? You know, Dinwiddie and, and Karras, those are the guys that have, you know, and credit to them, these are guys that spoke on the trade rumors uh, right to the media, you know. This, this season is different. It's not like we can go there for, for training camp. It's not like we're at HSS uh, practice facility watching these guys and then talking to them after. We're on Zoom calls, and some of these guys we haven't spoken to for a while. So, obviously, these guys, Spencer and Karras, these guys, these guys have been talking about the trade rumors, and those are the first two guys that will tell you, hey, you know, it's nothing we can really do about that. And this is a credit to how the Nets and how Sean Marks has run everything. It's been an open-door policy. He's been actively telling guys, hey, we're involved in these trade rumors. He's come out and told the media, hey, yeah, if we think we need something else to put us over the hump to win a championship, because at the end of the day, uh, the Nets understand there's a three-year window right now. You've got Kevin and Durant and Kyrie Irving for the next three years under contract to win a championship, and that's the goal. And they're not backing down from that goal. And they're saying, hey, if we don't think what we have is enough to go get us that championship, we're going to do what we need to uh, to put us over the hump. And they've communicated that with players. And the players are like, hey, you know, we, we're going to come in here and get better every day. And we understand that there are trade rumors. And, hey, if we end up getting traded, that's part of the deal. Um, and, I mean, at that point, sometimes all you can ask for is communication from the top down, right? And at a certain point, these guys are in here playing, and they're going into the season as if things are going to be fine. Now, when the general manager comes out and says, hey, we're, we're open to making smaller moves or bigger moves, uh, absolutely they could come back and say, hey, if James Harden is still on the, on the market for a price that we can meet, we'll go get him. But as of right now, they're, they're taking this training camp roster. They, they've got, they're going to have to make some cuts. Uh, they've got a lot of talented players. I count 16 players on this roster who could get legitimate play time on any team in this NBA. Uh, so training camp is going to be tough. There's still going to be some cuts. And then who knows, there might be some cuts going into the season as well. Christian Winfield is my guest. You're listening to ESPN New York tonight on 98.7 ESPN. Christian, of course, covers basketball for the Daily News, especially is his role as beat writer for the Nets. Christian, this is going to be a challenge for you, but I'm curious. Uh, because of your inability to be around the team now and in this COVID-19 era, I'm very curious as to how you speculate the chemistry is going to be on this team and will take to build there's a lot of talent on this team. A lot of talent requires and wants playing time. Yeah. And the question is going to be, obviously, we want to monitor and, and put a, you know, put monitor the minutes for Kevin Durant. We, we also may have to monitor the minutes for Kyrie Irving because Kyrie's, let's face it, great player. Got a, got a history of, of missing a lot of games in the season. Yeah. He's, he's got some injury issues. So how will Steve Nash, the new guy, the new head coach, try to balance <laughs> chemistry with playing time and and the one big thing that really is my barometer for how a team will do and a new head coach how do you deal with adversity when it hits because it always does <laughs> that's that's funny uh and, and it's funny i asked steve a, a question similar to this uh earlier today i said hey you know you're two days in now right like you know uh phase one nba health and training protocol you have to quarantine you have to go through testing right phase two you can go into your uh, practice facility uh, for players most, get some individual workout in. You can work with 
a, a, a trainer. You can go into the weight room. Now that players have only really gotten two days to be out there on the floor together, right? And this is, this is a team that has no moving parts. Kevin Durant didn't play for a year. Kyrie Irving only played 20 games. Karis LeBert missed 20-something games last year as well. And then you're adding guys into the fold. So, you know, I asked him, I said, hey, you know, how are guys, you know, learning to play with one another? And he said straight up, he's like, hey, you know, that's not what we're, we're worrying about right now. We're not worried about rotations. Uh, we're not worried about setting roles. We just want to mix up different lineups. They're not even doing starters versus reserves yet. They haven't set that in stone. Right now, all they're doing is mixing different lineups and putting different guys together uh, and just seeing who's going to get a feel uh, to play for, with one another. Now, here's one thing I will tell you. Uh, we all know Joe Harris, like I said, signed a 70, uh, $75 million contract. And, and some of the, actually, the good folks I met daily, they asked Joe, hey, did you, has anyone given you any, any jokes? Uh, about your new contract. And he said, yeah, uh, I'm running up court going up for a dunk. Uh, and DeAndre Jordan tells him that all this money's weighing him down. And, and that can kind of tell you, paint the picture of, of the cohesion this team is trying to build. Obviously, you've got a lot of guys uh, who are new to one another. But remember, the core of this team uh, is still intact from what they had last year. If you take this roster into, the, into next season, into this season, excuse me, and you don't make a big trade, uh, you've got guys who are used to playing with one another, uh, Kyrie, he stayed out a lot of the season, but he still played 20 games, and he played those games with Spencer Dinwiddie and with Karis LeVert. Uh, and I think that's the dynamic that's going to be that's going to have to be worked out the most, right? You've got three guys who are capable of making plays uh, with the ball, their guards, uh, and Kevin Durant is going to eat because he can eat whenever he wants to. Whenever he's a walking mismatch, you get the ball to Kevin Durant whenever. I think the dynamic between those three guards is going to have to be something that gets worked on. And to their credit, they have some of that time under their belt from last season. So a lot of these guys have that rapport, and I think they're going to lean on that rapport. Um, and honestly, they're just going to have to play, right? At, at, at a certain point, you can't, you know what I'm saying? And this is something that, that Kevin Durant was saying before, too. He said, hey, you know, I've, thought, I've sat here. He obviously, he missed an entire year. He said, hey, I've sat on the sidelines, and I've thought about how this entire thing is going to work out when I step back on the floor uh, and I've got guys around me and we're, and we're competing. And then he said, but there's nothing really like it until you're in it, right? And these guys aren't really going to know what it's like playing with each, with each other uh, when a team is down 10 uh, and they've got to re- rally together and, and find a way to come back and win a game uh, when there's five seconds on the floor, on the clock, and everyone on the floor thinks they're capable of hitting that big shot uh, when, when someone gets looked off. You know, they, these guys are going to have to go through uh, what it's like to learn how to play with each other. Uh, and I guess that's the answer to your question. You know, they, they, they're not ready right now. Obviously, I don't think anyone's ready uh, for this regular season, given how short this preseason and this whole offseason has been. The, the NBA's had the shortest offseason of any professional sports league in this country due to the pandemic. Uh, so these guys are really just moving on the fly. It kind of sounds a lot like it sounded last year because you had guys missing time. Uh, but now you've got guys that are coming back from that time off. Uh, and you've got two guys who are shoe in Hall of Famers, right? If, you, if, you, if you're asking me, Kevin Durant's Hall of Famer, so is Kyrie. Um, and now you've got a supporting cast that can do so much on the floor, and that's what they're focused on. They're not trying to set any goals or rotations right now. They're just trying to see who plays well with who uh, and who's going to make this team. Kristen, do we kind of, through your reporting can, and interview skills, can we kind of get an idea of what type of coach Steve Nash is going to be? Is he going to be a – I mean, I know Kyrie Irving Kyrie Irving has made it clear that, you know, he's really coaching the team, <laughs> to paraphrase him. <laughs> uh, but, but do we have an idea of what kind of coach Steve Nash is going to be? Is he going to be that, you know, where everybody's okay and we're all right, we're learning to play together? Is he going to be a disciplinarian coach? Is he going to be a coach that holds people accountable? Do we have an idea of what kind of coach he's going to be? We have not the slightest idea. <laughs> Remember, Steve Nash has never been an assistant coach, uh, let alone a, a head coach in this in this league. Uh, and he came out of, out of virtually nowhere and, and got this head coaching job. Now, I can tell you what type of person he is. Steve Nash is funny. Steve Nash has, has jokes. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you that. Steve Nash, he's, he's, he's calm. He seems like the type of coach um, that – actually, I can tell you, he is the type of coach that, that is listening to his players uh, and that is actually – and, and credit to, to Sean Marks for, for identifying this type of guy. This is, I mean, if you think about the type of player Steve Nash was uh, back during his days in Phoenix, and this is a, a two-time back-to-back MVP, right? You know, this is a guy who, who – a, number one, consistently got the best of everyone that was around him, uh, and, and he just thrived off of building those relationships. Look at the guys he's hired in Brooklyn. These are the guys that he's, he's played with, and Amari Sadamaya and Mike D'Antoni. 
Um, this is a guy who who is is in tune with everybody, and I think that's what the Nets was off. You know when, and that that's a great question that you asked. When when Sean Marks was was talking to us way way before, when he was thinking about who he wanted to to identify as a head coach for this team, he was he, he used the word conductor, right? He said that's what he needs. He doesn't. They don't need an an, an orchestrator. They don't need anyone to to come out there and reinvent the wheel. They just need someone to get everyone on the same page. Uh, and and from the Nets, from from what the Nets are telling us to to how they they've been uh, going about business, uh, this is a team they they're all on the same page. It seems like, and I think that's a that's a very important key uh, to to building any successful team. Everybody's on the same page. That's why I think the roles and rotations and everything is going to work itself out. Uh, whether that's a trade or, or or whether that's just keeping the guys that you have together, everybody's on the same page from management to ownership to to the players. Uh, and when we've all got that common goal, uh, I, I think we, I think things are going to work out. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. One last thing before I let you go. A lot yeah. was made of uh, Kyrie not speaking directly to the media yesterday, but sending out a statement. Yeah. Uh, is that – are we making too much about that, Christian? Or is that a warning signal of what that relationship is going to be this year That in the year that's already challenging – for reporters to try to do their job, you know that's that's something that I've I've asked myself, uh, you know, because it's it's tough, uh, you know. We have limited access right now, as you know, everyone has limited access to everybody at this time, right? And we have, you know, all we we can't come into these facilities, we can't go. Uh, we are going to be hopefully uh, allowed into Barclays Center to be able to watch these events. I'm sure. Um, but we would be there for practices. We'd be at HSS training center. We'd just be outside. You know, we don't have those. And if, when you think about reporting and news writing, you know, our job is to, you know, be a vehicle for people who are interested in the beats that we cover. You know, like the reason I'm on the radio, the reason you're talking to me is because people like you and other people in this network want to know what it's like, what's going on behind the scenes. And I am privileged to be one of many people, one of few people uh, to be able to be there and be a reporter to watch it, right? And just the pandemic has already sliced half of the joy out of that out the picture, right? Mm-hmm. Now everything is virtual. Now we're on Zoom uh, conference calls, um, and we we're, we're trying to make the most with what we have, right? And I understand, you know, and I understand where Kyrie is coming from. It's not like uh, he's completely out of bounds here. This is a guy who's just been the subject of some. Uh, I, I, I would go. I would go as far as to say some of his criticism has been unwarranted. You know, there are some things that he brought on himself, right? Like saying the earth is flat. Obviously, you're going to say that, uh, and people are going to uh, take that and run with it. But there are some things I won't even talk about them on the air right now that were just out of bounds, and I and I can understand how he could come up with the idea that the media is taking some of his words and twisting, right? Like I can understand how that can be the perception, but that's not necessarily the reality all the time. Sometimes it's just people are going to make fun of situations regardless of who it is and what it is, right? People always find fun in everything. And it's unfortunate. Sometimes it's at the, uh, at the, the expense of others, but you know, sometimes it's, it's been at the expense of Kyrie more often than not when he says certain things. Um, but on the flip side of that, there, there's people like us who are, you know, I can talk for every person who is on this next beat, right? And we all do our jobs with, with honor and with integrity, and we try to convey things as accurately as possible. Uh, and now it's like, hey, Kyrie Irving is part of the draw, right? Like, this is the guy who's going out there and breaking ankles and getting the oohs and the ahs, right? This is the guy who's the highlight. Yes, Kevin Durant is the best player on this team, and everyone in the organization and on the roster will tell, will tell you that. But Kyrie is the most entertaining, easily. This is a guy who, I, I mean, his, his first game at Barclays Center, he went for 50 and almost hit the game winner, right? It's, it's, it's been a different electricity since he's been there, and you're adding another player. Uh, people want to know what that guy has to say. People want to know what that guy uh, thinks about his team, thinks about the upcoming season, uh, thinks about a lot of the things that are going on. And on top of that, he's got to answer some tough questions like everybody else on the roster, you know, like everybody else in the league. So, it's a multi, it's an issue. You kind of see both sides of the issue. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not, I, I can't tell you which way it's going to go because I have no idea, but I'm hoping for an, an amicable resolution and I believe we'll get one. Well, I will say this, uh, and I have not covered him. I've, I've talked to him as a visitor, visiting player maybe once or twice. Uh, I will say this. He is a talented young man. And Absolutely. 
he really he really can change all the stuff of what people said about him in Cleveland, what people said about him up in Boston, blaming him for tearing the, the team up and all the other stuff. If he can find a way to bring this team a championship, people will not even talk about what happened at those previous places. And to his credit, uh, to his credit, that's what he said in the statement that he sent out. He said, hey, you know, I would rather this is one of those seasons where I would like for my play on the court to do the talking for me. Right. And obviously, you know, we're we're all trying to figure out what that means. Right. And then he said something at the end of the statement, like this will be the beginning of that change. Um, And now it's like, okay, well, how long is this thing going to drag on for? Mind you, he never said this is a season long thing. Um, he never used the word media hiatus, but that ended up being on the TV. So in a way, you know, his statement kind of proved his point in a way because it took a life of something that that, that it wasn't necessarily. Um, but now we just have all these questions to, to, to answer. And it's, it's where we've already got a short way. We've got, I mean, preseason games start on, on December 13th for this That's team. That's right. right? And right we'll all be the- watching. <laughs> and Christian, we'll rely on you to tell us what the heck is going on with this Brooklyn Nets team as you do so well for the Daily News. Christian Winfield has been my guest. We'll talk soon, my friend. Thanks for a couple minutes. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Brian, I see you looking at me through the microphone. That's how bad that was. I see you looking at me. Really? With, with a side eye. Why? I see it. I see it because, you, because I said I was singing. You can sing, Larry. It's the holiday season. Come on. No, no. People no. want to hear uh, Uncle Larry, so... If I sing on the air more than four or five notes, the transmitter would switch automatically off. See, I don't, I don't agree automatically with that because I know there's several hosts that have sung on air, and you know, they weren't that great, but they sang. Yeah, I know, but but I'm I'm telling you from experience. I don't believe that, Uncle Larry. <laughs> the transmitter shut right down. AM station went right off the air. At Hardesty ESPN, at ESPN NY 98 underscore 7 FM, our poll question in five years, which one of these draft picks will be the player on the Knicks? The player on the Knicks. Will it be Obi Toppin? Will it be Mitchell Robinson? Or will it be R.J. Barrett? Now, this is Jake's question tonight because Jake is uh, assisting Brian as producing the show tonight. So, Jake, which one? Now, have you have you seen the Twitter poll? I did see the Twitter poll. We're up to 340 votes, so not too bad. All right, so tell me who is – tell me what's – don't tell, don't give it away yet, but tell me – give me your reaction to the numbers right now. Are so you I, surprised? I'm not surprised. I think a lot of people think that the big man doesn't necessarily translate in today's game as it used to, so I kind of understand the results. That's why a lot of people – we had the caller before say it has to be R.J. Barrett because he's more of a guard or a shooter, I would say, out of the three options, but – it should be interesting because a lot of people on Twitter also think that none of these three guys will even be here in five years, which is not great if you're a Knicks fan hearing that. But you would assume that at least one of these guys will be the star and the leader of the Knicks moving forward. Unless that meant that they were all traded away to get somebody bigger. That, because that could be the other side of it as well. That they, they were needed, that we, we want to get this huge player, so we move these guys to get, you know, like a, like a scenario of James Harden trying to come to the Nets, that you have to give talent to get talent. So maybe that'll be the reason why they're not here, as opposed to, God, they flunked out of the league, which a couple of other draft choices have, have done. That's very true. I, I just want to see these young guys play at this point, though. I, I don't think it would be necessary to trade all three away. Maybe if you take two out of the three for a bigger piece to maybe pair it with an R.J. Barrett or an Obi Toppet. But to trade all three, I think, would be kind of crazy. In five years, which one of these draft picks will be the player on the Knicks? Obi Toppin, Mitchell Robinson, or R.J. Barrett? Right now, just up to 47%. We round the numbers up. 47% say Obi Toppin. 41% say R.J. Barrett. 12% say Mitchell Robinson. Now, keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, that Mitchell Robinson is trying to up his uh, skills a little bit because he's been practicing the three-pointers. <laughs> so maybe he understands that if I want to get paid – I need to work on some threes. But for me, right now, I, I don't want him to be the three-point guy. For me, all I need for him to do is continue to do what he's doing, give me a 12- to 15-foot jumper in the lane, give me the ability that when you give it to him, he will eventually command a double team that will allow players to get open three-point shooting, and I'll be pretty happy with that. 
Our poll, of course, at Hardest to ESPN at ESPN NY 98 underscore 7 FM. And, of course, you can reach me via the phone, 1-800-919-3776. Our poll question, very simply, in five years, which one of these draft picks will be the player on the Knicks? The player will be the man. We'll be saying, wow, they got one right. <laughs> which one will it be? Will it be Obi Toppin? Will it be Mitchell Robinson? Will it be R.J. Barrett? And yes, we've gotten some Miles Powell honorable mentions on this poll. So if if we don't have anybody that's listed there, you know, you can call me and give me your choice who you think is going to be of the draft choices. I wonder if we'll get any Frank Nilakina votes. All right, Brian, let's go. Let's go, baby. It's going down. It's your dog to DJ Chuck Chill Out. And right now you're listening to ESPN New York Tonight with the homie Larry Harnestein on 98.7 ESPN. Yo, Larry, what's the top story of the day? Chuck Chill Out, can you believe Adam Gase called Sunday's last second loss one of the most difficult losses of his coaching career? That's what he said. Admitting it had been difficult to move past it. Today, he called it one of the most difficult losses of his coaching career, admitting it's been difficult to move past it. He found it hard to adhere to the 24-hour rule, you know, that you have to put it behind you. Here's Adam Gase with Rich Samini. Were you in a funk after that loss? Yeah, I was pissed. I felt like our guys played well enough to win. Well, they did. And had you been applying yourself as a head coach, and listening to what was going on, the chatter that was going back and forth, and used your timeout and say, listen, hey, Greg Williams, this is not the play I want called here. I want you to put two on the ball, drop nine in coverage so we can get this win out of here. Then you wouldn't be upset right now. It wouldn't have been one of the most difficult losses of your career. And the team would be ready and willing with a win on their shoulders, which they richly deserve because of the way they played offensively and defensively after fighting their way back in there despite turnovers. And listen, the lack of talent that they have, you would have a win at this time. These are the reasons why, you know, when we total all the things up at the end of the season, remember, you're the head coach. You're not just the head coach of the offense. That's why you probably will not be the head coach of this team. As the Nets' first games of the season draw near, Kevin Durant and Brooklyn coaching staff have started to map out how they will utilize the former league MVP in Brooklyn's two preseason games. Now, you heard what Kristen Winfield said from the Daily News. According to Durant, the Nets are not placing an emphasis on playing center during small ball lineups, but Coach Steve Nash has encouraged playing positionless basketball because that's what Mike D'Antoni did in Houston. It was successful. Here's Kevin Durant on camp so far. Such a talented group. You got guys that can do multiple things on the floor with the basketball. It brings the best out of everybody. Having Spencer, Karras um, going at it every day, Kyrie, myself going at it, DJ and Jared going at it every day. That just breeds that competition. And, you know, it's a healthy competition, though. It's not like guys are wanting this other guy's spot. It's more so we want to push each other because we know, we'll, you know, everybody is going to help uh, towards the end goal. So it's been, uh, it's been healthy. It's been good. And, you know, guys are getting better. Will he play or will he not play? That's the question about Daniel Jones returning against the Arizona Cardinals. Now, he was on the field stretching with teammates during the open portion of practice on Wednesday. That is the portion that reporters are allowed to see, and he was expected to participate. He was listed as a limited in his performance. So Joe Judge spoke to the media afterwards and gave an update on Daniel Jones. As far as Daniel, we're going to give him an opportunity to go out there today, move around the field. We're still in that point of the week. I haven't seen him do anything physically yet this week since the end of last week, really. We'll see him move around today. Uh, we're optimistic. I know he's you know, going to tell us everything we want to hear. We've got to, again, use our eyes to set our ears with Daniel. So we're going to put him out there today, make sure we you know, give him a chance to progress. Today's a walkthrough, so we're not going to see everything full speed. Tomorrow we'll be on the field moving around. And then Friday will be a big day for us to kind of make a final decision, hopefully, going into the weekend. Yeah, I agree. That's going to be the Friday will be the determination on whether he will play or not. Let's talk some college hoops. Coach K wondering if we really should be playing during this pandemic. After their loss last night to Illinois, Mike Krzyzewski openly questioned whether college hoops should continue to be played amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Here's what he had to say. I don't think it feels right to anybody. I mean, everyone is is concerned. So we made an assessment, that, and there was a consensus. It, it wasn't like well planned that we we're going to start November 25th, and that was made 
without knowing if there was going to be where the vaccine was, how many cases. Basically, it was more of a mentality of get as many games in as possible. I would just like for just for the safety, the mental health and the physical health of our players and staff for their like to assess where we're at. All right. Former Alabama and New York Giants coach Ray Perkins died at the age of 79. He played under Paul Bear Bryant and later succeeded him as Alabama's head coach. He was an All-American wide receiver and part of Bryant's championship teams in 64 and 65. Perkins was drafted by the Baltimore Colts in the NFL and appeared in two Super Bowls as a player before working his way up in the coaching profession. He later became head coach of the Giants from 1979 to 82 before leaving to take over for the retired Bear Bryant and his alma mater. The Mouth of the South, Paul Feinbaum was on with Bart and Han today and had a story about Perkins leaving Giants for Alabama. My career began uh, covering that transition, and uh, I'll never forget. I got a call uh, the, the night that there were rumors that Bear Bryant was resigning, uh, retiring uh, from the sports editor of the New York Times. He said, oh, are you reporting this? I said, yeah. He said, right. and he, he said, Ray Perkins isn't blanking leaving the Giants to go to Alabama. I said, well, yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> it was a shock. I mean, it was an absolute shock. And Feinbaum has, uh, his, shares his personal memory of Ray Perkins. He was a complicated man. Uh, he came into Alabama w- w- with a little bit of a New York attitude, but he was a great recruiter. Uh, I mean, he recruited uh, Derek Thomas and Cornelius right. Bennett. I mean, two of the greatest defensive players. You know, obviously, uh, he drafted uh, Phil Sims. He opened the door to- toward this, you know, Belichick, you know, tree with by, by elevating uh, Bill Parcells, who I think it- he- uh, Perkins met while he well Parcells was an assistant at Vanderbilt. So he really did start. To- I mean, the worst mistake he ever made, though, uh, after four years at Alabama where he was very successful. He got uh, talked into going to Tampa by Hugh Culverhouse to be the the Bucks owner. He, he got the biggest uh, contract in NFL history and it turned out to be a disaster. He Otherwise, he would have stayed at Alabama for a long time and won titles upon titles. Our prayers go out to Ray Perkins' family and of course to the New York Giants for losing one of their own. Speaking of the Giants, you know, the NFL has flexed the December 20th game between them and the Cleveland Browns to Sunday night on NBC moving Dallas out. Uh, someone here at 98.7 has been really excited about the Giants, but there's another person that called them out. Dave Rothenberg, you know, from DCR, moving to 5 to 8 a.m. beginning in the new year, January 4th, joined the Michael K. Show, and uh, there were some, shall we say, fireworks. Fraud. You're fraud. You gave up when they were 1-7. and seven. You can't get back on the train. I didn't give up. What do you mean I, I gave I up? I listened to you on the show. Oh, they stink. They're terrible. They were one in seven. All right. So they were one in seven. You're out. You can't get back. One in seven. You can't luxuriate now in the wins if you gave up. You're out of your mind. That's just a made up rule, Michael. This is my rule. I mean, this is is preposterous. You did get on the air and say that you were you were less into them now than ever before. I yeah, of course. Thank you, da- thank you, Peter. They, they had the, they. You guys are out of your minds. It, it's it's like it's like the Three Stooges. I'm listening to. They were one in seven. They had the worst Dude. record in football over the last three years. Why are you They've been the laughing stock of the NFL. You know, and that's and that's just Dave talking about how he's still a fan of the Giants. Can you imagine if they lose? Can you imagine what would happen? I can see another. I can see the fifteenth wedding video out the door. That's top stories. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Jake. This is ESPN New York tonight.